Welcome to Web3 Galaxy Brain. My name is Nicholas. Each week, I sit down with some of the brightest people building Web3 to talk about what they're working on right now. My guests today are Ulash and Doan, founder and founding engineer of Clave. Clave is a stablecoin wallet powered by passkeys and ZK Sync smart accounts. On this episode, Ulash and Doan dive into the origins of Clave on optimism, the UX advantages of account abstraction, and roll-up improvement proposal 7212, which aims to bring SECP 256R1 passkey elliptic curve verification to L2s. We also discuss their partnership with ZK Sync and some of the very slick onboarding flows they have to bring new to crypto users on chain. It was fantastic getting to know Ulash and Doan better. I hope you enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by contractreader.io, the best way to find and understand smart contracts on the EVM. With Contract Reader, you can read smart contracts on mainnet, testnets, and L2s with text highlighting and live on-chain values viewed right in line within the code. With their new audit toolbox, you can create public solidity gists or make them private by adding collaborators. Share the link to add comments and conduct audits in a native solidity flow. Give it a try today at contractreader.io. My thanks to Contract Reader for sponsoring this episode. As always, this show is provided as entertainment and does not constitute legal, financial, or tax advice or any form of endorsement or suggestion. Crypto has risks and you alone are responsible for doing your research and making your own decisions. Hey, Doan, how's it going? It goes fine. I currently, we are exploring different options and we are just around the corner of uh, the mainland launch. So it goes fine. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> going well, going well. When you say mainnet launch, I know there's like a ZK sync talk, uh, tie up, but it, when you say mainnet, it's for actual mainnet? Um, actually, not ZK sync mainnet. So we had a closed beta launch during their connect, but it was on testnet and we had uh, some requirements from uh, our users and also uh, some of the industry leaders. And then we have changed the Clave uh, wallet a bit and it's ready for ZKSync mainnet. So we don't plan, we don't have any plan to launch it on uh, mainnet, Ethereum mainnet or like any kind of other one. Okay, so for the listeners, we should rewind a little bit and say today we're talking yes. about Clave. We're going to talk about Clave uh, and a bunch of other things related to smart accounts and the P256 curve and all kinds of interesting things. Uh, and we'll go through all of it. But today I'm sitting down with Ulash and Doan, who are the co-founders of Clave, which has really been pioneering this whole smart account centric, passkey centric, uh, new generation of accounts and wallet technology. Isn't that right? Um, just a small clarification. So Ulash is one of the co-founders uh, in Clave, but I'm founding member. It doesn't that matter, but yeah, just, just a small clarification. <laughs> okay, good. But yeah, thanks for the introduction. Of course. But did the project, my, my impression is that the project started at uh, ETH Global in March, but maybe it actually goes back further than that? Yep. So uh, actually it was later 2022. I have started to research account abstraction. And while I was researching, I just came up with this idea, the idea of the Opclave. Opclave uh, was using uh, hardware signers uh, within a, a custom pre-compile uh, in an OP stack. So uh, actually it, it has burned while I was uh, researching this topic, but uh, before researching the account abstraction, uh, we all, as a Clive team, uh, has been working in different projects, and we had our own development studio, and we have 
been serving third-party development uh, in crypto space since like uh, two years. Okay, so so like 2000, 2009, uh, 2020, 2019, something like that, you got together and we're doing what kinds of projects? Yeah, actually, I have recently joined the team as the de- development team, but uh, all of the development team were working together since like three years per se. I see. And Ulash, for you, is that uh, your team? We have been working with some DeFi and NFT projects and some kind of Web2 companies who are transforming their operations into Web2. And we have wrote lots of smart contracts or, or backends or frontends in different projects, but it was very boring for us. We want to build some, some new stuff, some innovative stuff, and stop all operations of third-party development and start building up layers. Very cool. So, okay, so you start. So you're working on a variety of different projects, and decided that you wanted to build something innovative. And Opclave sort of emerged through your discussions with each other. Is that is that how it happened? Uh, actually, we wasn't expecting that Clay will went will be uh, viral in uh, Ethereum ecosystem. But I just wrote a wrote a uh, thread that is explaining. Uh, what is Opclave and how it works, and uh, it got too many traction from community, uh, including like uh, Ethereum enthusiasts in, and like investors and like some of the industry leaders. And we have decided to work on this project and digit our own jobs, uh, as Sulash mentioned. And this was the, this was how, how it happened, uh, the transforming into Clave. But we always have been. Uh, talking each other that we wanna uh, continue with our own project, not working with third-party projects. So it was our like dream, and the dream has became a real within the clave. That's great. So the exposure from the tweets around the ETH Global project made, sort of made it a reality. Yeah. Very cool. So Opclave, people may not be as familiar with, but as you mentioned, it was a hardware signer focused project with custom precompiles specifically for the OP stack. Maybe you could explain a little bit about what the idea was and then how we got to where we are today. Sure. So Opclave, actually, while I was researching account abstraction, the most interesting part for me is the key abstraction, the way that we can change the custodial uh, solutions because currently we have only MPC and UA or custodial solutions. And these three solutions have its own uh, trade-offs. We want to build something uh, cooler and something uh, better than the existing one. And the uh, key abstraction of the account abstraction allows us to do it. What does key abstraction means? Key abstraction means that uh, you can initiate a transaction with uh, non-native uh, Ethereum signatures. It can be a Shiner signature, it can be a P256 or like Poseidon uh, hash or like anything that you can imagine. It, it can even be an RSI signature. So while I was researching the uh, account abstraction, I just saw this and I have already known that uh, the Secure Enclave and Passkeys are working with P2, P256 curve. And I... I'll, I also have been researching OP stack and like other modular approaches to uh, how we can uh, build uh, customer facing applications on top of this modular uh, execution layers. And I just saw that we can add custom precompiles uh, as you are 
adding into the get node. So it's it's so simple and it's as easy as like the, uh, adding new parts into the get node. I, I don't know if my pronounce is correct, but anyway, so yeah, I'm no, it. Yeah, and we have presented the. Uh, this project in the hackathon, we have one hackathon and we have uh, too many traction from community, but Oakley uh, was an idea. And this idea says that we need a precompile. I think it would be maybe helpful to explain what is precompile too. So uh, normally uh, you can build uh, Solidity smart contracts uh, or like any kind of uh, language within any kind of languages in Ethereum which you can express uh, computation inside of EVM. But EVM is not designed to support uh, non-native curves, and it has some of the downgrades. Uh, if you uh, want to use non-native elliptic curve cryptography, so precompiles allows us to change the EVM specs. And this approach is also came up within a trade-off, which is you need to get the community support and also you need a hard fork to get a precompile into the uh, any kind of blockchain. So do, do I understand correctly with a precompile that basically you're locating some uh, functionality at a specific yes. address inside the EVM yeah. and then if any contract calls that address, they can access functionality that it's actually running on the bare metal uh, like in Geth or Wreath or any of the node clients, they'll yes. they'll execute it in Rust or Go or whichever language they're written in. Yes, this is 100% con uh, correct. But as you know, yeah, getting innovation inside of L1 is so hard. And But if you have your own uh, app chain, then it's, it's as easy as like changing your RPC node. So... Uh, this is why we have used OpStack as a starting point. But uh, since we are using OpStack and we are an app chain project, but we want it to be compatible with an uh, existing ecosystem and we don't want to have uh, our own uh, isolated state uh, with another rollup ecosystem. So we didn't want to build uh, an OpStack rollup. Uh, just for a hardware signer. And we wanted to serve this precompile as a public good to the Ethereum ecosystem. And this is where EIP 7212 has born. We wanted to have this precompile as a public good to the, all of the Ethereum ecosystem. And we took a lot of efforts on that. And I think we can maybe continue on the this part too. Yeah. Ulash, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that. Oh, it's, it's fine. So maybe the big thing that I guess is continuous between Opclave and Clave uh, and the other topics we're talking about about are the uh, 4337 account abstraction improvements to UX that kind of motivate this whole project. Maybe we can talk a little bit first about 4337 and what it really does to enable a better UX for, for regular folks. Yeah, sure. So I think before the 4337, it would be helpful to explain that how smart contracts works in Ethereum and how uh, Ethereum accounts are working. So basically, we have two types of uh, accounts in uh, Ethereum. One is uh, external or owned accounts, which are also known as UAA. And EOAs uh, are working with a uh, private key and they and also all of the Ethereum protocol has designed for EOAs. So they have a huge advantage. 
uh, compared to the smart accounts. What is smart accounts? Smart contract wallets, or uh, I love it as I call it smart accounts, is the way that you are storing your assets inside of a smart contract. And this smart contract uh, ownership can be can be programmable uh, the, that whatever you want. So you can add, uh, you can use it as a multi-sig, as we've seen in safe contracts. You can use it as a different signers as uh, we have seen in the past within uh, Argent Wallet. And also uh, we have seen a lot of examples around this concept. But smart accounts has a huge disadvantage, which is they cannot initiate a transaction without any third-party delegation. And this this third-party delegation is sometimes can be a problem because it breaks the censorship resistance of L1. What does it mean? Uh, you need someone to initiate a transaction behalf of you if you are a smart account. And this is a huge problem. And this is where 4337 comes. It doesn't only offers like meta transaction or like a- anything around it, but it, it's a bit more complex. But the exact thing that it's, it's, doing, it's doing is that it allows smart accounts to initiate a transaction without relying any uh, extra uh, parties in the Ethereum ecosystem. And uh, this is huge because it allows everyone to build smart accounts without thinking of who is going to initiate a transaction. Currently, bundlers are doing the transaction initiating process, but in the future, bundlers are going to be block builders. And this is what 4237 offers. And I think it's a huge improvement. Maybe you could explain a little bit about uh, that convergence you foresee of bundlers and block builders. Yes, sure. So what bundlers are currently doing is all of them uh, has its own isolated mempool and they cannot communicate within each other. And sometimes they lose their money. Why? Because... I'm sending user operation to Bonner and Bonner takes it. And then Bonner somehow communicates within blockchain, block builder. And if uh, there is no way to trustlessly communicate between block builders, then the Bonner can be front it and they can lose their money within failure transaction or like any other uh, configurations. So uh, this is the problem in Seven today, but Etherspot uh, is doing is trying to solve this problem with an shared uh, user operation mempool. I think it's it's already on testnet right now, and they have been improving this process so much. So the idea is that if two bundlers separately include a user operation, but they have each the user operations have nonces that mean that the second one will fail, then the second bundler could be front-run by the first one, for example, uh, and unknowingly propagate a transaction for which it won't be compensated? Actually, not. The The thing that I'm referring to today is that uh, MAV searchers are seeing that uh, this bundler made money within converting user operation into a transaction format. And if I do this with hmm. giving money to the block builder, as we call it as an MAV, then I can take uh, his profit. So this is a problem. But as I mentioned, it 
it's not something that is private. Everyone knows it, and everyone is trying to improve uh, this process as Etherspot team. And they are a 4237 grantee, if I'm not mistaken. So Etherspot's proposal is to directly turn the bundlers into block builders or to just share the uh, user operation mempool across different bundler providers? Hmm. Great question. I can ask them. <laughs> yes, I don't want to make any mistake. But from what I understand is that they will have process communication between block builders and bundlers, or they will uh, allow bundlers to be uh, block builders. But right now, the user operation economic activity is not enough to any bundler to be a block builder because the transaction uh, inclusion time is going to increase so much uh, because of the uh, economic activity. So, yeah. Because they would have to wait until they have a complete block to submit a mm. purely block yes. bundle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or purely bundled, uh, user-op bundled block. Interesting. Oh, so bundling is, it brings me to... Um, the, one of the advantages is transaction batching. That uh, One of the advantages of account abstraction is transaction batching, which can potentially reduce costs. Uh, whose responsibility is it to do the transaction batching? Would it be like the DAP or the person constructing the user operation or the bundler? Wh- who's responsible? So I'm not sure what you mean by transaction batching. If it's like you are uh, in the UAS, you need to approve first and then make swaps or and in uh, account abstraction models you need you can do it with them together right i guess there's two different ways because it's also the bundling of all of the user operations into a single eoa oh, yeah. transaction but there's also this yeah. what you're saying uh referring to the account level batching where you can do an approval and the swap in the same transaction absolutely from my expectation, actually, I think wallet teams are going to take the lead in this process, and I don't expect the transaction batching will decrease the cost so much. I think there's a, a huge improvement on uh, the roll-up side because if you can use uh, different uh, signatures or like if you can do compression in L2s, then you can decrease the data that you post to L1. And this is possible within 4337 accounts. And I think uh, within state diff rollups, I don't think that we need to dive into it, but within the port- and also within 4337 uh, compressions, uh, smart accounts are going to be cheaper than UAS in the future, hopefully. <laughs> this is like a hot topic hot topic right now right this uh compression that you mentioned yes uh Ulesh, i don't know if you wanted to talk about that or something else yeah i, I want to make transactions uh, i want to say that the dApps have to be aware of they are willing to make some best transactions in in the regular transactions because they may need to make some state change in the front end or they may need to prepare the transactions in a different way and if they are not aware of this transaction might be a part of a best transaction, the transactions can have fails or the secondary transactions may not be performed. Hmm. Um, there's also this uh, affordance of spending ERC-20s for gas. Who's responsible for making that possible? It's common responsibility of wallets and DApps. DApps can prepay the transactions in the structure of its gas will be paid 
Mutant ERC20 or the wallet can change the transaction and add required paymaster data to make it uh, guess these are paid with uh, a token. Sorry, so that's it's in the uh, user operation that it's defined? Yes. Got it. So maybe, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to ask uh, Doan about the uh, compression, the 4337 compression. Is there anything that you can explain about that to, to give people a sense who, who aren't totally up to date with the, the latest news? Yeah, sure. So uh, when you do a transaction on any L2, you need to pay for three things. One is L2's execution cost. And second one is uh, the L2's call data cost and the, the cost that uh, L2 is paying for L1 to be to for the data availability. And also for the third one is the zero knowledge. If it's a zero knowledge rollup, then it also needs to pay for uh, proof verification and it's an another cost. So as you can see, there's three different costs in the, in the rollups. So what you, what you can do within uh, this concept is that if you can decrease the data that you are posting to R1, then you can get a huge amount of cheapness within uh, this uh, data compression. And this is also known as data compression. Instead of sending the data directly, you can do some tricks and then you can post it into R1. This is data compression. And since we are on zkSync, we don't actually need data compression because zkSync is doing it behalf of us. It's also known as the stative rollups. It's it's really a bit deep concept. I'm not sure if you wanna yeah, dive into it, but stative rollups, you said? Yeah, state diff. Oh, rollups. state diff rollups. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, uh, what you can do within rollups, forget rollups. Each blockchain needs to store its data in a uh, trustless way or maybe in a trust minimized way. So what Ethereum currently doing is the full nodes are storing the old data from scratch and also uh, they are uh, responsible within uh, verifying the near blocks. So when we come to uh, execution layers or, or also as known as the uh, rollups is that rollups are doing the computation of chain and they are posting the only uh, execution result to the uh, mainnet. But there is a problem. Currently, I'm talking about zero-knowledge rollups because in the optimistic rollups, it's a bit much complex. But in the ZK rollups, you can prove the off-chain executions uh, integrity within zero-knowledge rollup and you don't need anything else. The only thing that you need is the proof. But imagine that rollup sequencer is done or rollup sequencer is censoring you uh, as uh, you are a, uh, as your account. And we have seen this example within the IDX. The IDX was a the IDX version three was a, a rollup for uh, running on Ethereum. and the IDX decided to censor or like uh, freeze the user's funds. Uh, if they have integrated, uh, interacted within Tornado Cash. But users just uh, take their uh, money within sending a transaction from L1. How was it possible? It has possible because it was possible because the data was available on L1 and also 
anyone could build uh, the state with only uh, reading the L1's uh, data and they could be a sequencer or a, a prover uh, within the data that is in L1. So what L1 is providing to Ethereum rollups is that uh, the censorship guarantees and liveness guarantees uh, within this concept. But you don't actually need to post everything to take inherit the censorship and liveness guarantees from L1. How it's possible? So currently we have two type of Ethereum rollups. One is transaction data rollups and one is stative rollups. Transaction data rollups are posting all of the data to L1, whereas the stative rollups are only posting the changes that happened on L1's, uh, L1's storage. So they both uh, has its own advantage and disadvantages, but when it comes to account abstraction, stative rollups are so powerful because they don't uh, post the uh, verification functions result to the L1. And for example, if you are using a passkey, it's it has a bit uh, more data in the verification uh, side. And if you post it to uh, L, uh, L1, then you are getting a bit more uh, cost uh, for this reason. But in the in the state defrolls. It's different and it's much cheaper. So, for example, if I send, uh, I use the Clave uh, wallet, I use my passkey by face ID or touch ID on my phone to sign a user operation with my passkey. And then that bytes, uh, those bytes are included in the transaction data, which are sent to, or are included in the call data that the, uh, or blob space that the OP stack style bundler is posting to OP stack, right? Like the, the amount of call data in the transaction increases. If, if there's more data in the, tra- in the transaction, then it increases the cost. Whereas in the state diff uh, rollup, it wouldn't be the case. Yes, the only thing that you need to consider is that how much my transaction is changing the L1's uh, storage, the storage that is living in L1. So for example, uh, I'm sending you one it, and you are sending one it to the Ulash in a, in the same block. The Ethereum is only going to know that uh, my balance has decreased within one it, and Ulash's balance has decreased uh, has increased within one it. It doesn't even know that you have received the money and then sent uh, Ulash back. But that's presuming that the assets that we're trading are, I mean, in that in a state diff rollup, is it even considered bridged ETH in that case? Uh, actually, it was just an example to simplify it. It's much complex in the DeFi applications. Yeah, for example, like if I'm interacting with a Uniswap, the L1 don't even know the or- Oracle uh, calls or like... Uh, anything else uh, that doesn't change the L1 storage slot. So this is the case because in the verification side, for example, in the ver- verification side, I need to verify the P256 curve and this correctness is being provided by the zero knowledge proofs. Thus, we need we don't need to let Ethereum know that this execution is also correct. 
uh, within the sending data. Wouldn't that also be the case if on, say, Optimism, uh, if I used, if I... Optimism cannot be. Yep, sorry to interrupting you, but Optimism is a state-diff rollup because optimistic rollups have to be a, a transaction data rollup. They need to post all transaction data to L1 because the fraud proofs are only working if there is a full data availability and your security, not security to be honest, your safety is equal to the optimistic, uh, op, mm, sorry, your safety is equal to the data to layer safety in the optimistic rollups. But in the uh, zero knowledge rollups, your security, your safety is equal to the uh, settlement layer and the data available today only uh, giving you the censorship guarantees and liveness guarantees. I, I hope that this makes sense. It does make sense. But even in the optimistic case, when you verify a P256 signature, it's happening in memory. It's not happening in storage, right? So it doesn't get yes. stored. To It's not included in the... It's only whatever data is required to be verified, like the signed struct, the signature is required. But... And it incurs an L1 gas cost. Yeah, but you need to post the transactions data to L1 to show the execution is correct. Right, but I would be like sending a user op to a L2 bundler and the L2 bundler would be writing the contents of the transaction and its data, but not the uh, gas spent on L2 to do the P256 verification, right? Can you elaborate the question? I just mean that the verification process of, say, running the P two five six Solidity uh, verifier, uh, uh, yeah, is not absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a part of the execution cost. It's not a part of the L one state availability cost. Right. So, so the f f to do like passkey verification, for example, doesn't necessarily incur more in a not the state. What's the alternative to the state diff? The complete uh, optimistic style transaction. Yes, the execution costs are kind of similar, but when it comes to data availability costs, costs... Sure, it'll uh, be much higher. Yep, yep. This is what I mean. So this is one of the advantages of ZK Sync. This is why you've chosen to focus on ZK Sync? Yep. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. I mean, people maybe heard of ZK Sync, but aren't so familiar. So state diff rollup, I guess that's one of the main selling points. Yep. So ZK Sync is using uh, state diff technology and also zero knowledge technology up for sure. And they have native account abstraction, and which means that we don't need any bundlers or any kind of third-party services to run as smart accounts inside of uh, the ZK Sync, which is perfect because you can be the first class citizen within the ZK Sync ecosystem. And we are also working with EIP 7212 integration inside of the ZK Sync. And as a result, we will see that EOA and Clear accounts are going to be having same costs, uh, both in the L1 and L2 costs. Great. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you some more about ZK Sync and get into the Clave app in a second. But first, uh, we have an announcement for a sponsor today. This episode is brought to you by ContractReader.io, the best way to read and understand smart contracts on the EVM. With Contract Reader, you can read smart contracts on mainnet, testnets, and L2s with text highlighting and live on-chain values viewed right in line with the code. And with their new audit toolbox, you can create public solidity 
gists or make them private by adding collaborators. You can share the link to add comments and conduct audits in a native Solidity flow. You can give it a try today at contractreader.io. My thanks to Contract Reader for sponsoring this episode. So all of this research that you've been doing is being productized into the Clave wallet. I've seen some screenshots and I know that there's this test flight out there. Um, what are the core features of the Clave wallet? Actually, uh, before last week, it was like a bit different. But in the last week, we had some important decisions uh, about the Clave application and how it will how, how it will like in the future so uh, first of all clave is a fintech application it's not another web3 wallet in in this space and it designed for payments and we are designing we are uh, designing our uh, gtm on the uh, payments in, in different uh, markets and eric is also here he's also an amazing person uh, who is helping uh, me to understand the uh, d different uh, payment markets. Anyway, so uh, what we are currently doing is we are uh, allowing users to onboard with only one click. This is the main and most important part of the Clave uh, because we don't want to have like you are typing something and you are clicking continue and then there's a face id uh, verification and then you are receiving an email otp etc etc it was also great compared to the uas but we really want to have the uh, best uh, onboarding process that is available on the both web3 and web2 ecosystem and for this reason we are currently using passkeys and the only thing that user needs to do to be onboarded is that uh, they're just uh, clicking to uh, create an account and the face ID uh, has been happening and they're done. They have an on-chain wallet. So really just biometrics and you create a passkey yes. and that's all you need to have a wallet. Yes, not um, other things. That's great. So super fast to just get in and get a, as you clarified earlier, I like your clarification about smart accounts versus smart. Everyone's used to this smart contract wallet SCW um, acronym, but really it's, it's more like a return to the spirit of accounts and a better quality um, signer, the passkey signer that the iOS and uh, Android and et cetera ecosystems are enabling. So if you drop into the app and you just create a passkey, what's the experience like then? I guess you have a zero balance account, basically? Yes, but we also have a solution for it. Uh, what we are currently also working is, and it's going to be available on the uh, mainnet launch, is that you will be able to send money within links. What does it mean? Imagine that you want to send money to your uh, friend and your friend doesn't have any on-chain wallet. The only thing that he needs to do is you will send him a, a link and if he uh, click the link, he is going to download the clave and after the onboarding, he will see the money inside of the clay wallet. So th this will be... Uh, also, one of the, our uh, core features, because we want to uh, solve the micropayments problem in the Web3 ecosystem uh, within this uh, feature. So uh, to be summarized, 
you are sending your money uh, within only link and the receiver only clicks the link and is done he has the uh, best security uh, level uh, in the web ecosystem and he has his own, uh, his own uh, choice within uh, paying fees in stablecoin or like eat or like anything any erc20 and he can also uh, interact within web3 apps so this is the clay application and how it will like in the future. So basically you can send a link to somebody and if they install the app and create an account, they'll receive your ETH or whichever token at that address. And so they have a booted up wallet right away, very easy to use. Yes. And also uh, we are going to be, we haven't announced it yet, but we are going to have a debit card integration where you can spend your crypto in your debit card. And this is also going to be our one of the main uh, core features for daily life users. So you could potentially use like Apple Pay with your Clave balance? Yes. Very cool. That's very, so that's the add to wallet uh, button I saw? Yes. That seems very, very cool. I also saw there's a feature around, and sorry, that would work anywhere? Or do you have a sense of where, what geographies that would work in? Yes, it's going to be in Europe first. And maybe in the future, we can add other countries especially on the growing markets like LATAM uh, or like Turkey, as we are also uh, located. Uh, and also uh, maybe Vietnam, Angela, etc. But in the, SS, uh, in the start, we it's for only European market first. How many people are working on Clave these days? We are a team of 10 people and development team is six people and the other people is like four people and i'm one of them uh, i'm doing the research and uh, writing stuff and also helping my team within uh, developing the gtm on uh, the different uh, markets um, for the app you mentioned this easy onboarding process by sending your friend some like a link where they can collect some money is the app very stablecoin focused or are any tokens uh, sort of on an equal playing field Actually, we are, our focus is on stable coins, absolutely. But uh, it, it's going to be up to users to, if they wanna have their own other coins, then we will support it, uh, and they can add, they can add uh, custom uh, tokens in their choice. And will the app connect to DApps through Wallet Connect or a traditional connection scheme like that? Yes. Yes. We use Wallet Connect to connect to DApps. Also, we have an in-app browser, and it's also a way to connect to the apps directly. So if you're if you're browsing inside the in-app browser, then you don't even need to Wallet Connect because it'll just know. Or it'll be like a window.ethereum? Yes. No, we, we use still Wallet Connect, but it doesn't need an additional approach. Very cool. Um, so why, why do you think, like, do you think this will appeal primarily? I know you said it's fintech. So what is it that will make this app more appealing to people who are not crypto native than something like Venmo or whatever the regional equivalent is? Yep. Um, actually, what I'm thinking is, is that we just want to be the easiest way to send money and receive money. So that that's the starting point. And uh, we have a cool infrastructure on the web theory side. And also we have a, a lot of uh, integrations coming on the web two banking side, uh, both in the European market and also in the Turkey market. 
we are also working with um, some of the integration in the Turkey market too. And yeah, this is why I call this it as a uh, fintech app or like maybe a payment app. It, it really doesn't matter that much, but the only thing that I want to uh, add is that it's not in another Web3 world. Because it's so focused on making it easy to do cross-border payments? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And do you think it's, uh, I guess, for people who are just transacting with their friends domestically, I guess the local competitors are probably just as easy. I wonder if there's a reason why people would want to, maybe the debit integration makes it particularly interesting relative to something like Venmo. Yep. Actually, it the debit card integration is focusing on Web3 users first because what Web3 users cannot do right now is that they cannot use the Web3 in their daily life and they have a lot of assets in the Web3, but they need to convert in uh, it in the maybe in a centralized exchange and then take the money to the uh, bank and then pay for uh, the money. Anyway, th- this process is uh, so problematic. And also, what Venmo cannot do is that Venmo cannot be as transparent as blockchain is. Uh, and I think it's a huge advantage on the crypto versus Web2. And we can tap into the uh, day market within just telling what is crypto and what blockchain is doing uh, in this site. But I think Lush may can add yeah. something. Uh, I think there is the additional power of self-custodium. You can store your, your funds by, by your self-custody wallet. Then you can use your your this money to transfer, invest, or, or use by, by the cards. So... I say fintech because you can do anything you want with your money with clay. So you get some of the assurances of self-custody. No no bank is going to freeze your account or cause you any kind of problems. There's nothing you won't yes. be able to purchase. But then the convenience of the debit function makes it something you can use every day instead of a bank account, really. Yes. Very cool. Do you think it will appeal to Web3 users as well or primarily to people who are new to crypto? I think I'm a Web3 user and I really need this kind of a solution. So if it works for me, I think it works for Anyway, Web3 user because we have some, some cryptocurrencies and we always need some fiat currencies in our daily lives and it might be too easy easy way to use use the funds. Yeah, true enough. Um, I know you also do uh, support like email sign up, and I'm curious how recovery works in uh, the Clave wallet. Maybe if I don't provide an email or if I do, how does the recovery situation work? Yep. Uh, currently, since it's a pesky, it's just that how you recover your uh, private email product that Apple has invested billion of dollars. And also, and another uh, recovery method is that we are working on is that uh, we are working on social recovery. Uh, Lush, please correct me if I'm mistaken. And also, uh, we are going to be integrating zero-knowledge email within our uh, social recovery process. Uh, and maybe I can dive into it if, if you want. Yeah, so, okay, so basically the passkeys can be recovered with um, iCloud Keychain, but you're also doing, I'm curious, what is a ZK email-based recovery? Yes, sure. So what the Gmail is doing is that it allows any email 
to be an on-chain account. So this is huge because you don't need to trust anyway, uh, anyone and you can uh, do on-chain actions within sending emails. And what we have done within Zero Knowledge Email Recovery, as we have named it as a universal recovery, is we have integrated a recovery module inside of uh, Clave accounts and we allow any email account to be guardian to your on-chain account. So this is an this just removes the uh, the necessity of uh, guardian your guardian needs to have an on-chain wallet. For example, you can add your grandma as a on-chain uh, guardian uh, with using universal recovery because she has a email account. So this is as simple as like this. That's very interesting. Has that been used in the wild yet or is that something you're building new? We are building it new and it's not uh, fully tested and ready for mainnet. It's not going to be a part of the mainnet in the start, but we are going to include it in the future. Very cool. Which 4337 implementation does Clave use? Hmm. Actually, we are not using 4337 uh, because uh, ZKSync has native account abstraction. Ah. And... And this native account abstraction has a different inter interfaces. Thus, we have used uh, our own uh, smart account infrastructure, which has modular approach. And it's going to be uh, open source, and we are going to release the audit report today. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great alpha. So how does it differ in broad strokes from 4337? ZKSync has its own transaction type, and every other type and in the case of Kikristan, you don't need any additional bundler or, or similar third party vcasing sequencer that works instead of them and our account interface compatible with all parties of ZKSync account abstraction ecosystem and also we have modified our account model to to be able to use it in 4337 systems so we will be publishing both our ZKSync native account abstraction model and our treatment form model, and they will be modular account, which have lots of new and unique feature. Interesting. So you've really moved away from 4337 in practice. Yes. Yes, but I think they work very similarly. But when it's native, it's more easy and efficient. Got it. And yeah, could you maybe tell us a little bit more about the ZK Sync partnership? How did that come about and, and what why ZK Sync? Yeah, sure. So ZK Sync, um, I think I have something that I cannot tell right now. <laughs> but <laughs> so what ZK Sync is doing uh, for us right now is that they are helping us within, especially on the business development part. Uh, and they have been helping us since day one. Since we have announced the Opclave, they were super uh, helpful to us, uh, both building the GTM on around the payments and other uh, related topics. And also they have a huge uh, team uh, that supporting us right now. And the partnership is both uh, equally powerful for both parts because we are powering the uh, ZK Sync 
uh, and ZK Sing is improving our uh, product. So yeah, this is both like equally uh, impactful. Hmm, that's great. And for the end user of Clave, I guess they don't really need to worry about being on ZK Sync aside from maybe what other dApps they want to interact with. Yes. And they don't even know that, like they shouldn't even know that they are on blockchain, but yeah, uh, we are on ZK Sync and we allow uh, to connect with ZK Sync ecosystem in Clave application. Uh, and also uh, we are allowing everyone uh, every ZK stack uh, chain to be integrated inside of the Clave. This is another topic that we are exploring. But yeah, even even though their their chains might work differently, it doesn't matter. I don't know how. What do you mean by? Or sorry, you saying you saying you're offering other ZK? Maybe I misunderstood. Okay, ZK stack is the uh, code base. Oh, of, I see. I see. Uh, ZK Sync, which allows you to develop your own uh, ZK-based rollup using ZK Sync's code base. I see. So any other rollup based on the same stack will be yes. uh, available inside of Clave. Yes. Very cool. Are you thinking at all about uh, transaction sponsorship? Is, does that play yes. into the UX at all? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it's still under discussion right now, but we want to sponsor... Uh, our users' gas fees as much as we can, and uh, it's it's also on our plans. Yeah, because I've seen like Opti- Optimism or Base are offering some amount of sponsorship for. I think it's Base for USDC transactions on Base. So I imagine the other rollups will consider things like this too. Yes, ZKSync is also doing similar thing. <laughs> yeah, I, it's interesting to see them very slowly, but begin to really heat up in trying to attract developer attention. Um, I mean, if you have a roughly EVM equivalent chain, then there needs to be reasons why devs choose to deploy on your chain. Yep. Sponsorship, sponsorship is definitely one of them. I find one of the weakest things in terms of uh, educational materials is nobody really makes it clear how many potential like prospective customers a developer has on each different chain. We have a kind of anecdotal sense of who's on which chain, but we don't have a backed by numbers uh, justification of why you might want to deploy on ZK Sync or Base or et cetera. It's, it's, I've, to me, at least, it seems it's mostly marketing uh, and not so much yes. explanation of, well, there's such and such many thousands of wallets that or addresses that uh, transacted in the last, you know, so, so, some notion of like a volume and, uh, willingness to spend uh, would make these chains more relevant to developers, I think. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I totally agree on that because if we couldn't have any support from uh, ZKSing, and it would be so hard to choose uh, since they are so powerful on the stack, but the other parts also super important and ZKSing has a lot of power in, in the other parts too. Mm-hmm. The business part, I think, is, is one thing that's really yes. hard for technical teams. And also marketing 100%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. BD and marketing are, are challenging. Yes. Although I'm not sure that they are the strongest one. I feel like there it seems to come in waves. Like there was a wave of Starkware being really loud. Uh, there was a wave of Optimism being very loud. There was a wave of Arbitrum beforehand where it seemed like Optimistic stack had kind of fallen out of favor a couple of years ago. So it does, it, one's perception from how people are emoting on Twitter is not a necessarily great representation of how they'll perform long-term. But still, I think it's underappreciated feature, but ZKSync has native account abstraction and has no smart account uh, 
smart uh, wallets that is working live right now. I think I have seen in the past a bit of example like Argent or like Station, but uh, none of them has went viral and uh, got a common usage uh, compared to the MetaMask or like other areas. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you said the user shouldn't really have to worry about or even know about which chain they're on. But at the same time, some of the technology enthused crypto natives uh, are often interested in how the technology works and understanding deeply how these things uh, come together. But as you said earlier, there's no need for your customers to know even that they're on the blockchain in the first place or especially which one or what types of technology it's using so it's maybe challenging for developers and teams in the space to translate their deep understanding of the technology and its potential into features that are relevant and convenient and trustworthy for users i'm curious if you have any reflections on sort of focusing on what counts for the end user while still delivering high quality technology underneath yeah sure so Actually, our approach on the different technology is that we don't want to build any kind of uh, like innovative solution from scratch because it's it's really so hard to build a new zcasing or like a new zero knowledge email type of uh, innovation. What we want to do is we want to uh, complete the puzzles part and we want to use this kind of innovations in the consumer-facing application within uh, to be serving uh, better UX. So this this was our approach since like day one, and I think it worked so well. Yeah, I'm excited to get to try it. We didn't talk too much about uh, EIP seven two one two, which you also stewarded. Is that is still relevant on zk sync, or or do they also have a native precompile? Actually, they didn't have, but they are going to implement because they were waiting uh, for the uh, roll-up improvement proposal to be finalized and finally it has been finished and the specs are like has, has a consensus over it so yeah they are also going to implement it and working on it so are if if dk sync is inheriting something like eip or now rip 7212 is the execution environment inside zk sync uh, evm or is there is it more than just a stapled on evm inside or or are the smart contracts running on zk sync fundamentally like written in solidity and viper and executing in a traditional evm i think they are calling this as an EVM, and they are going to have EVM uh, equivalents on the opcode and precompile within end of second quarter, if I'm not mistaken. And yes, it's it's another form of EVM. And yet they have some. I mean, so it's it's sort of an EVM running on zk tech circuits. It's not. Uh, but as a developer, you can continue. You can transition directly from mainnet L1 to zk. Yes, there's some differentiators. Like uh, there, there's some of opcodes and precompiles that lives on L1, whereas there's it's not available on zk sync. So yeah, it 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 has some uh, differentiators uh, within L1. I also wanted to know what the transition from seven two one two being an EIP to an RIP has been like. Who is stewarding the RIP process, and what's the difference between an RIP and an EIP? Yeah, sure. So first of all, getting support from Ethereum protocol as a new pro-compile is really so hard. And when it comes to community educating, like we could still uh, push this pro-compile to the L1, but it will take a so long time. And 
we already have a lot of uh, PASCII or Secure Enclave based uh, wallets on L2s and they need this precompile as soon as possible. So we wanted to uh, make the process a bit uh, faster and we wanted to focus for L2 first and show the usefulness of this precompile and then continue uh, to push this precompile to the L1. And even from the start, 7212 was, in the way that you phrased it in the first draft uh, that I read, uh, was focused on L2s. So you really were more interested in that from the start. Yes, this is correct. But <clears throat> there were there were no form that you could propose a core change to uh, Ethereum rollups. But thanks to the rollup informal proposal standards, right now we can do it. Where does the roll-up improvement process uh, come from? Is that the Ethereum Foundation spin-off of EIPs, or is it run by different people? It's uh, Carl and Ansgar, who are researchers in the Ethereum Foundation. Okay, and it, so it's not strictly, it's not like associated with any specific stack. It's uh, intended to work across them all? Yes, like if you uh, join any kind of roll call calls, then you will see a lot of uh, core developers from different ecosystems, including Arbitrum, Optimism, ZK Sync, uh, Lina, Scroll, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I don't know if we talked about it, but uh, Clave also has this group splitting functionality um, that I saw. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned it in the earlier section, but that's pretty cool too. Yes, but after Pesky's integration, I'm not sure if we will use it on mainnet or not. Um, Lush, can you confirm it? Because I couldn't follow the latest <laughs> updates. <laughs> yeah, we will leave separate. Perfect. So yeah, uh, I think I can explain it right now. So what you can do with split the bills is that imagine that you are going to, going in a restaurant and you want to split the bill and uh, Clave application supports it as a native. But it's not only a restaurant, it can be a trip, it can be a, maybe a vacation or like anything else that you want to spend money within uh, only one account and then pay for your debts. So this is the case within what you can do within your friends. Hmm, very cool. We ran the gamut of a lot of different features of Clave and, and some of this migration to ZK Sync. Are there big topics that we haven't covered that you think we should discuss? Actually, I think we have covered all of the details about our project. <laughs> uh, you've done a great job. And it's fascinating to hear the transition. I didn't realize uh, just how deep the ZK Sync transition runs in Clave uh, from the original OpClave design. So pretty cool to hear something go from hackathon project to nearly a official debit card in Europe. Pretty cool. Yes, and uh, we have a lot of cool uh, announcements, uh, including mainnet launch and uh, something uh, about uh, an upcoming uh, big event in the uh, America, uh, in the US. Uh, anyway, so you will hear us uh, in the future uh, and uh, keep, in, keep following us. I think this is the last comment that I wanted. <laughs> Ulash, did you have anything you wanted to add? 
No, thank you for hosting us for the second time. Yes, it was great having you on again. Yeah, I hope you can try that as soon as possible on Mainness. Yes, I'm excited. And for people who want to hear that prior episode, Ulash was on a few months ago on the EIP 7212 episode. So you can search web3galaxybrain.com for 7212 and you'll find the episode or Ulash. U L A S. But this is a great conversation, and it's fantastic to hear all the progress that you've made since we last spoke. It's exciting to see the app come together. If people want to follow more, learn more about Clave, or get involved in adopting some of these standards, where are the best places to find you? I think our Twitter account is the most up to up to date place that we are uh, sharing the announcements, and also we are going to uh, share our uh, community channels where users uh, can also join and ask questions to us. Are those Telegram or where's that? It's both Telegram and Discord, but our focus is going to be on Discord first. Great. And uh, I also see you both on Farcaster sometimes. People can check you out there personally. Yes. Uh, we are also on Farcaster, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and also on YouTube. And for me, uh, I'm also uh, like, I'm the person who is like presenting Clave in the uh, everywhere. So uh, I'm also on Parkester as in the Dogan Eat. Uh, but in Twitter, Dogan Eat account is uh, for Turkish followers. Dogan Eat uh, slash uh, in is my English account. So if anyone wants to follow the latest update about Clave, then I think this is the place. Awesome. I'll put links to all that in the uh, in the show notes. And it's uh, getclave is the Twitter handle for the main yes, account. Yes, thank you. All right, Don, Ulash, thank you so much for coming and talking about Clave. I've been waiting for this conversation for a long time, looking forward to it. Uh, and you, you delivered. Thanks so much. And good luck with the forthcoming launches and announcements. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to me. Thanks, everybody, for coming to listen. See you in a few hours. I'll be talking with Pimlico. Uh, Christoph from Pimlico will be on the show at 5 p.m. Eastern time in uh, about three hours, four hours. So uh, be sure to be there. And if not, then see you next week. Uh, you can check out past episodes of the show at web3galaxybrain.com with full transcripts uh, as well. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ulash. Thanks, Doan. Goodbye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Web3 Galaxy Brain. To keep up with everything Web3, follow me on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. You can find links to the topics discussed on today's episode in the show notes. Podcast feed links are available at web3galaxybrain.com. Web3 Galaxy Brain airs live most Friday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2200 UTC on Twitter Spaces. I look forward to seeing you there.